Good evening. Uh, my name's Stephen and uh, our reading tonight is taken from Luke, chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. You'll find that in the leaflet uh, which you were given on the way in, or you may have it on your phone. Starting at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the children, little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Thanks very much, Stephen. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's been written for us and for our salvation. So we pray this morning, uh, speak to us as we sit under your word Shape us to be more and more like your Son, our Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, let me add my welcome to that of Michael's before. It is great to have you here with us tonight, whether you're one of our members or just visiting us. My name is Geoffrey Lynn. I'm one of the staff here. Uh, I'll be taking us through this next little while as we reflect on that passage that was just read for us. Can I ask you please to make sure you have open in front of you that handout that Stephen referred to on the right hand side. You'll see the passage is printed on the left, an outline of what I'm going to cover. You'll notice there is a, some blanks for you to fill in. That's so that you don't drift off. Uh, well, today is what we've called Kickoff Sunday as we launch a new ministry year here at Trinity. Um, it's a moment for us in particular to pause and set some priorities uh, even as we rush headlong into 2022. Uh, the next passage in Luke is where we're up to, and in fact, I think it's the perfect passage for us, uh, because although later in the service I'm going to share about some of our plans and what we are hoping to do, uh, much more important is what God is like and what he has done for us. And the way in which we get into uh, that is with one of the most fundamental questions that the Bible asks. Uh, it's actually the topic of today's sermon. You'll see there on the top left, how do you enter the kingdom of God? How do you enter the kingdom of God? This is, of course, a really important question, whether or not you're a long-standing member of this church, perhaps you're someone who's checking out this as a potential new home, 
Or even if you're just here, try to work out who Jesus is. How do you enter the kingdom of God? It's one of those really key questions. My plan, actually, is to try and answer that question uh, in two parts, both this week and next week, uh, hence the title, How to Enter the Kingdom of God, Part 1. Well, let's begin then in Luke chapter 18. We're just picking up where we were up to in previous weeks uh, with the audience that Jesus is addressing. There in verse 9. Verse 9 on the right-hand side. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Okay, admittedly, this is not a really positive or uplifting way to start. Uh, It's actually all about a correction and a rebuke for those who look down on others. For the record, uh, I think it's terrific to be confident in your faith. Uh, All of us crave assurance before the Almighty God, and thankfully, as we're going to see, Jesus can provide it. Uh, But in many ways, where this passage begins in verse 9 is not with those who are confident but rather those who are overconfident. You see that usually manifesting in a looking down on everyone else. It raises a question, really. Why on earth do we think that putting others down will make us feel better about ourselves? Well, as is often the case with Jesus, he tells a really memorable parable to make his point. And that's in verses 10 through 14. Uh, Pick it up with me there in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, actually, verse 10 feels like, to me, the start of a joke. You know, two men went up to the temple to pray. Kind of like three blokes go down to the pub. Uh, But he begins here with two men going up to the temple to pray, although we discover it's not a joke, actually. It's really, it's not a laughing matter in any way. Look at the two men who we meet. Firstly, the Pharisee. The Pharisee, verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Well, first thing to notice about the first man, the Pharisee, is that verse 10, verse 11, he stood by himself. He stood by himself. Uh, It's as if, well, there's a sense of intentionality and as if he's deliberately standing apart from the crowd, trying to stand out from the crowd, trying to draw attention to himself, getting ready to show off a little. And that's what we see, in fact, with the second thing is about his prayer. Uh, His prayer, although I don't know if that's what you'd actually call it, Basically, it's all about himself. Uh, Sure, he spins it with, God, I thank you that I am, but really that's just a preamble before he gets down to some really serious self-loving. As he tries to build himself up by tearing others down. I thank you that I'm not like other people, not like robbers and evildoers or adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Notice how he pauses to single out the other man. I mean, you can hear it in his tone of voice, can't you? His raised words for all to hear. Maybe he turns at that point and dramatically pauses and stares so that no one misses the point of the comparison that he's drawing between himself and this tax collector. It's meant to make you cringe. I found myself wondering if our prayer were to do this today. 
Thanks, Jenny. You're about to pray for us. I know you're not going to do that. Uh, but can you imagine how you would feel if this is what was taking place? One of the challenges for us when it comes to reading the Bible in 21st century Australia is that we don't always get what was going on, the subtleties of society back then. It's true that even today, all of us instinctively grasp the problem with robbers and evildoers and adulterers. But what's the big deal with tax collectors? What's the slur that's being given? Well, part of the challenge for us is that when we today hear the word tax collector, what we usually hear is accountant. Now, for the record, can I say, there is nothing wrong with accountants. Some of my best friends are accountants. Um, I actually, really, the point is, accountants, well, they're just so boring. <laughs> I'll do so. I'm sorry, I'm looking down on others. Exactly the thing you're not meant to do. Back in Jesus' day, a tax collector was a social outcast. They were despised as traitors for robbing their fellow Jews on behalf of the hated Roman overlords. And that means the modern-day equivalent of a tax collector is not an accountant. The modern-day equivalent, and I'm going to say this not to scandalise us, but so that we feel the tension of what's going on, the modern-day equivalent of a tax collector is a pedophile. These are not the kind of people you wanted hanging out in the local playground. These are not the kind of people you wanted living on your street. In fact, if you saw them, you would cross to the other side of the street just to avoid them. These are not the kind of people who, quite frankly, you want coming to your church. All of which raises for us an interesting question. So why is the tax collector there today? Why is he bothered coming at all? I mean, because surely he knows how he's going to be treated by others, how he's going to be looked down on by all those respectable people there, so why bother turning up at all? Well, hold that thought for a moment. Come back to our Pharisee one more time. You see, our Pharisee, in his attempt to build himself up by putting others down, effectively cancels out any credit he might have for his otherwise quite good deeds. You notice there, verse 12... The Pharisee, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Uh, in many ways, the Pharisee is quite a good person. In fact, the Pharisee is the kind of person we'd quite like to have in our church. You know, they're the kind of person who serves well, they are pious, and they're generous, almost generous to a fault. So, particularly when, you know, this is the kind of person we'd like to pick a random hypothetical example if we had to fund a site redevelopment. This is the kind of person we'd like to have. And yet the problem is, I think he genuinely feels that God's pretty lucky to have him on his side. Although, as I'm often saying, the vertical should shape the horizontal. The vertical, our relationship with God, should shape the way in which we treat others. And when I put it that way, the way you see others, the horizontal, it's actually a function of how you see God. And that means the way that you stop looking down on others, just as an attempt to try to feel better about yourself, 
is to remember how we all appear before God. It's true, the Pharisee might to us look a little better than this tax collector, but as we're about to see, there's no point us being a few steps closer to God than your neighbour if both of us are still a million miles away from him. Well, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, we've met him. The other is a tax collector. Let's meet him. Verse 13. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, first thing to notice about the tax collector is that he stood at a distance. Uh, Unlike the Pharisee who stood by himself for everyone to admire, the tax collector is the guy who comes in late, slipping in after the first song, skulking at the back of the church, hoping not to be noticed. Uh, Can I say, if that's you sitting in the back row today, yep, I can see you waving. I presume that's not the case for you, so I'm sorry about that. But you get the picture of what's going on here with our tax collector. Second thing to notice about him is that unlike the Pharisee, whose prayer was, in effect, just self-congratulation, the tax collector's prayer is a simple, heartfelt plea directed entirely towards God. It's somewhat ironic, actually. Did you notice that he can't even bring himself to look up to God? He would not even look up to heaven, we're told, in verse 13. It's like when someone won't look you in the eye because they know they've done something to offend you. Because for this tax collector, even though he's just been publicly humiliated by the Pharisee, his great concern is not what other people think about him. His great concern is what God thinks of him. And he knows that the Almighty sees it all. He sees his sins of commission and omission. He sees his flawed actions his unkind words, his impure thoughts, and his selfish desires. And so the tax collector's prayer is incredibly short but extraordinarily profound. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. His prayer starts with who he is, a sinner, but it ends with what God is like, a God who is gracious and merciful and forgiving and kind. Have mercy on me. The tax collector confesses his sin. He acknowledges his failings. But the interesting thing is he doesn't dwell on them or obsess about them. He doesn't descend into self-loathing or bitter despair. He doesn't try to make excuses for his past behaviour. He doesn't offer hollow promises about what he'll do in the future. Maybe he's tried and tried and tried and kept failing and falling. And I wonder if that's you here today. Now what the tax collector does is he starts with an honest, hard look at himself, but he ends with God's unfailing love as he casts himself fully on God's mercy. And that's exactly what he's going to find when we get to verse 14. 
Before we get there, did you notice the contrast with the Pharisee's prayer? The Pharisee didn't even bother to ask God for mercy and forgiveness, presumably because he didn't think he had any need for it. Well, remember the question I asked at the start? Why did the tax collector come to temple in the first place, knowing the kind of reception he'd get from others there? Well, maybe it's because he understands that his biggest problem is not the horizontal, his biggest problem is the vertical. And in order to get his relationship with God right, he'll endure any snide comments from those around him. After all, at the end of the day, who really cares what other people think of you if God looks favourably on you? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Let's hear the verdict then as Jesus reflects on who they are. Verse 14. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the extraordinary conclusion to the parable. Here's the verdict that Jesus pronounces as he compares these two men. You remember that Pharisee was all about comparisons? Well, here's Jesus' evaluation. It's the tax collector who goes home justified before God. Now, just, just pause for a moment and think about that. It's the tax collector who goes home justified before God. Doesn't that shock you? Given all the way in which he's lived, he's the one who gets to go home right with God? It's meant to shock us, I think, and of course the problem is that all too often it doesn't, mostly because if you're a Christian, the story is far too familiar. But we ought to be shocked. In fact, we ought to be offended because what Jesus is saying is that God is not impressed by our religion one bit. How mistaken that Pharisee was. What Jesus is saying is that God cares if we are contrite. Because he is so merciful. And he can forgive even the worst of sinners. Like that tax collector. Ultimately... As we're going to see in a few chapters' time, God will send his own son to lay down his life for our forgiveness. That's how much he wants to forgive us. And so in pronouncing the verdict that Jesus does, he is giving us the most wonderful relief. You see, the verdict on the Pharisee reminds us that God is not mocked, but the verdict on the tax collector tells us that God is merciful. And can I say, if you're here today as someone who's not yet a Christian, who's trying to work out what this Christianity thing is all about, what Jesus stands for, can I say to you, how good is this teaching? How good is this teacher? This Jesus who says that to be forgiven, you don't have to be diligent like the Pharisee. You just need to be humble and repentant like the tax collector. Because this is a God who forgives anyone who asks, not those who will not. 
Well, at this point, most of us here today would protest something like this. Jeff, thank you, that's all nice and well, but I'm nothing like that Pharisee. I would never be quite so judgmental as him. Well, if that's your response, and can I say to be honest, all of us have thought that at some point, then in verses 15 through 17, Jesus is going to offer a really good diagnostic test of our hearts. Actually, it's going to be a warning for us all. Uh, and it's the reason, actually, why we're looking at both of these passages together today. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 in just a moment. Before I do, um, and to get you ready for it, I've got a question for you. Here's my question. Do you like babies? Do you like babies? Huh? <laughs> just bear with me. My question actually is, what do you think of when you see a cute baby? What do you think of when you see a baby? Or to really focus it, how important are babies in the grand scheme of things? Come with me to verse 15. Verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But when Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Okay, that question, how significant are babies in the grand scheme of things? Well, the disciples don't think that babies are much use. Uh, in fact, the disciples look down on them which is exactly the thing that the Pharisee did to the tax collector. My guess is the disciples' thinking goes something like this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to save all of humanity from their sins. So quite frankly, little babies, they're a distraction. Get them out of the way. And of course, when the parents bring them to be blessed, that's exactly what the disciples do. They rush in and ask them to move on. So let me assure you then of the really good news about Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't look down on us that way. Jesus looks at us the way a new parent gazes adoringly at a newborn baby. Jesus looks at us the way he looked at that tax collector, with compassion for a broken, fallen child of God. And so we're not mistaken, although he talks about babies in verse 15, in verses 16 and 17, Jesus widens the blessing. Did you notice? It's actually to all children, just to make the point. And I suppose, uh, in a way that's no longer very politically correct, the words of that old song make the point exactly. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. So to the question that is the frame for today and the topic of this talk, and it's printed there near the bottom of your handout, how do you enter the kingdom of God? According to Jesus, here's the blank for you to fill in. You receive it. You receive it, just like a little child. Because that's the very definition of grace. Grace. 
It's something that we are given. It's a gift. It's something that we receive with open hands, just like an infant reaching out to grab hold of a present. It's not something that's painstakingly earned or rightfully deserved. It's not about reaching into your back pocket for your wallet so that you can pay for something. It's not about handing over your CV or your resume with all your credentials and all your qualifications proving why you deserve something. The kingdom of God is received like a gift that's freely given. And Jesus is saying to us that anyone and everyone can find mercy in him if only you will confess your sins and cast yourself on his grace and forgiveness. Well, that's the passage for today. Uh, what we've seen is that to enter the kingdom of God, it requires nothing, nothing other than our humble contrition. And what we're going to see next week in part two is how entering the kingdom of God actually changes everything for us. So that's what we'll get to next week. Before we do, let me just pause for a couple of minutes and reflect on application. You'll see two things that I'd like to talk about. Uh, bottom of your handout there on the left. One is corporate, that is to do with us as a whole church. And one is individual and personal for each one of us. Two questions by way of application, and with this we'll wrap up. Firstly, what kind of church family will we be in 2022? What kind of church family will we be in 2022? What I want to say is that if we find ourselves tempted to look down on others who walk through the front door, then we're no better than the Pharisee. And in fact, the dire warning from verse 14 is that actually we might be no longer justified before God. So I really want to ask of us as a church, who would you look down on if they were to walk into church today? A convicted felon? A trans person? Someone who has hurt you and offended you personally? Can I urge you, please don't look down on them that way if Jesus does not. The vertical must always shape the horizontal. Second point of application, and it's the last question there, who did you come to church as today? Who did you come to church as today? That is, did you come like the Pharisee or come like the tax collector? My confession is that deep down, a part of me came to church today like the Pharisee, concerned about outward appearances, about how you see me, keen that I might measure up when compared with others. A part of me came to church today like the Pharisee. And I wanted this so that, well, so that I can take pride in my achievements, so that you will think highly of me that I'm moral and upright and respectable, that I'm someone you're proud to call your pastor. Part of me came to church today like the Pharisee and I wanted it so that God would be more pleased with me for all the good that I might have done to somehow offset all the secret sins. 
But at the end of the day, the reason why part of me came to church as the Pharisee is so that I just don't have to ask God for mercy. Because if I do, yet again, I have to admit that I need it. Admitting my mistakes and failures, asking God for help. I'm an Australian male. So as you know, we don't do either of those things very well. And that's the reason why, in just a moment, what we are going to do together is say a confession together to remind us that all of us are sinners. And at the same time that God freely forgives all who come to him. Now, it seems to me that we live in a culture that's all built around honour and shame. All of us are terrified about what others will think of us, what others will say about us. We all live our lives desperately trying to cover up in order to save face. I mean, isn't that the reason why we won't confess our sins to God? Because the horizontal is actually shaping the vertical. And yet what the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector shows us is a better way to live. See, knowing that God sees everything and still loves us with an unfailing love, there is the basis for us to approach him with assurance and confidence. Uh, I'm often reminded of the lyrics from another song that we often sing, God, you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. Uh, that's the reason, of course, why we said Psalm 32 earlier in our gathering. It's to remind us that the only basis for rejoicing is confession. Well, I wonder if you can see how a prayer of confession said together, followed by words of assurance of what God is like, can you see that when we do that, it is in that very instant both the most confronting part of our service and the most comforting part of our time together. The most confronting and the most comforting because whether it's for the first time or for the 10,000th time, it is the moment when with thankfulness and joy we tell each other, we tell the world that this is what our kind and great God is like. Now, I don't want to make us beholden to some kind of confessional, but can I ask you, why wouldn't you want to experience this most wonderful assurance again and again and again? I'm not telling us that we need to pick over our lives to dredge up things that we confess to, Lord, confess to God. What I'm saying is that this is what a relationship with God is like. It's never about trying to impress him as if somehow we must earn his favour because we can't. Rather, a relationship with God is about rejoicing in the comfort and delight of knowing that he loves us with an everlasting love. Of being certain that his mercy is new every single morning and of the confidence that he sent his own son to us to bring us home to the kingdom of God. 
Jesus is saying that if you came to church as the Pharisee, it's not too late to go home as the tax collector, to go home justified before God, like a baby receiving the kingdom of God. And actually, whoever you are, however you came today, I really want you to leave rejoicing in God's incredible grace and mercy, whether it's for the first time or once again. In fact, what my prayer is that every week this year when we gather, every time we come to church, we go home like that tax collector, rejoicing in the goodness of God.